Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 23, To the Death. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are great, we are awesome, we're a good time. Um, but I will also say that we can now add Twitter, or X, back into our uh, access point. <laughs> I finally got everything cleared up after all this time. Um, so oh, took all yes. of season four. <laughs> like, yeah, all of season four. So uh, um, we'll probably just start posting things for season five and beyond once again there. But I did get all of that finally taken care of. So we are golden Great. on that. So we can start saying yes, Twitter as well, or X now. Jeez. I, I, I insist on Twix. I insist on Twix. Twix. That's what hey, I'm going to call it from now on. <laughs> well, I'll only be posting on the right side. So there. <laughs> okay. Uh well, I'm glad that worked out. I didn't know. You just now revealed that to me as well. So that's great. It, 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 it happened today. It really was today. It just um, it worked out. I was able to um, work with um, our kind of behind-the-scenes tech guru for all things Hollow Sweet Media, and we really just kind of just sat and worked through it and, nice. and got it. So, awesome. Um, yeah, that was today, and got a couple other things cleared up for us as well. Um, and to that end, um, we have an email address, apparently. Um, that you can also send emails to if you've got questions, comments, concerns, so forth and so on that maybe um, we didn't address at some point or maybe we just didn't see if you had posted it anywhere else for some strange reason because I'm finding out that that may have occurred for some things too. So um, yeah, if you have questions or anything like that, please feel free to send them to our email address, which is of course thefirecaves at gmail.com. So uh, yeah, lots of ways you can interact with us and we uh, will interact with you as always we say of course anything you send um please be courteous please be polite and please allow us time of course to respond because uh, we do have wives as well to do to deal with and um yeah we don't mind what you have to say just uh follow those rules and we'll be all right Boom. um so yes, as David said, we are talking about the episode To the Death, the 95th episode in the run of uh, Deep Space Nine, and the 20, 22nd, right? You said that, 22nd episode of the fourth 23rd, season. 23rd. If we consider the opening two episodes of this season as two episodes, even though they are part of the same storyline, then this is episode 23. Nah, we but don't he- do that. No. Well, Wikipedia is weird about it because sometimes it says twenty-two, sometimes it says twenty-three. So, uh-huh. twenty-three is what I was I, I said tonight. So, if you want to count it as twenty-two, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I've always thought of it as if it's a continuation, that means the story wasn't done. So, they're they're all a part of the same. Now, this can be kind of problematic when we get into some later parts of Deep Space Nine, which I'll explain when we get there. Um, but don't worry about that for tonight. 
Um, we'll just save the 22nd. Episode was also <laughs> directed by none other than Jordy LaForge himself, Mr. LeVar Burton. Oh, so nice. uh, another Star Trek alum getting behind the uh, camera there and doing some work. Uh, Star Trek has a pretty big history of that, um, allowing their actors to kind of go through their film school, basically, and right. and then getting to work on their shows to get their directing chops up. So. Right. Um, I think it's a great idea. I love seeing that. And um, yeah, I, let's see. If my memory serves. Uh, Jonathan Frakes is probably the most prolific Star Trek director to date. Not only did he do um, a few episodes of Next Generation, I th- he also did Deep Space Nine, Voyager, um, uh, Enterprise. And he's done Discovery and uh, Picard and Strange New Worlds. So yeah, pretty much all of the new ones that needed a director, he's he's done it. Right. So, hey, yeah. uh, we need a we need a fill-in guy. All right, Riker, get in here. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much how it goes. We need a director. Come on, Frakes. And right. <laughs> and apparently, he really loves it, and the actors love it too when he directs. That there's been several instances of behind the scenes stuff, and they talk about just how great of a director he is and he's very fun and i can't think of a better thing to have on a star trek show than a star trek former star trek actor who still loves the franchise and the show who works right. with those guys to tell them yeah. you know what's up so yeah. yeah um when i was uh i recently rewatched a uh there's the honest trailers youtube channel that i for whatever reason it popped in my feed again the galaxy quest version of uh-huh. their uh, uh honest trailers which you know you don't have to test before galaxy quest is amazing but, you know, part of the plot is that, yes. you know, they are um, going to, like, Comic-Con-type conventions or, or Star Trek conventions is more accurate uh, for the show. And knowing that Jonathan Frakes is, was one of the guys who, like, goes to all the, like, Star Trek conventions, like, like yeah, they're basically, like, saying, you know, like, Jonathan Frakes in particular is the guy who really, like, really goes out there and, like, sees the fans and interacts yes. with the fans and all that. So, um but yeah, once again, Galaxy Quest is amazing. You and I should do an After Dark where we talk about Galaxy Quest a little bit. You know what? I'm actually totally down, and mainly because um, one, I really did love that movie when it when I watched it. But also, so many Star Trek actors have watched it and yeah. really loved it. You yeah. know, um, I know Patrick Stewart talked about how at first he was really hesitant to go and see it, <laughs> yeah. um, but I believe it was actually Jonathan Frakes who convinced him to go see it, and yeah. he did, and he loved it. Right. So, um, yeah, and, and everyone, anyone who's talked about it that has been in Star Trek has all said the same thing, how they were kind of like iffy, right. thought they were going to be getting made fun of, whatever, but then it's, you know, it's fun, it's lighthearted, it's a nice wink and nod yes. to Trek and greater sci-fi yeah. shows, of course, but yeah, yeah. definitely Trek-inspired, yeah. definitely Trek-inspired, yes. so. Oh, um, 100%. As someone who wasn't a Star Trek fan when I first saw Galaxy Quest as a kid, I immediately enjoyed it, loved it, and knew that it was both making fun of, and, like, in, in a friendly f- way, you know, you, as, if you poke yeah. a friend, yeah. you make, you, you tease a friend, not, not in a uh, cruel or, uh, you know, way, but anyway. So, Absolutely. So, Dan, we can do that. You know, we'll take a break from um, Expanse stuff, and we'll just do a night where we watch it and review it and so forth. Yeah, Uh, I'm fine with that. Absolutely. Um, Now, before we get into the subject of tonight's uh, podcast, how's your week been? 
Week's been good. Uh, okay. Uh, so, you know, this week was Labor Day at work. So Monday, which was Labor Day, was a very busy day for me, which was great. But, man, it's been dead otherwise. It's been frustrating how dead it's been. Um, it's not good, frankly. Um, you know, things are not going to go up anytime soon, <laughs> frankly. So uh, Yeah. I mean, um, that's, that's news everywhere is how, you know, it's kind of getting worse out there with inflation and so right. forth and so forth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm in a decent store in a decent area, but as my boss said on Monday, he was like, man, that store really hits off on – on holidays but lately not it's kind of it so i'm like ugh. so not happy there uh but i have uh, been reading the book i mentioned i was going to start reading which is um fall and rise which is about 9 11 uh, last week i said it's kind of like the version of what happened on 9 11 i think i might have overstated a little bit well it certainly does do like a detailed walkthrough about the events that happened when it comes to talking about the persons involved, like it'll it'll do kind of a deep dive on certain persons. But when you consider that three thousand people were killed, um, and then that multiple others is, were affected, um, the the number of people that it can deep dive into is so minuscule amongst mm. all of those people that um, I would probably take that back. It's not like the definitive in the sense that it doesn't tell the story of everybody. It tells a number of stories that are interesting as a part of the overall experience um but i don't want to oversell that and say like this is the one version of everything that happened no there's like you can go i was on youtube watching clips and watching stories and there's stuff that i didn't read about in the book so far um i'm almost done with it uh, i plan on finishing it on the 11th as a part of my reading and it's it's been good definitely I'm, I'm someone who when i read or watch something i can kind of tear up a little bit um just you know re reading stuff like that you know it's it's personal did david did david just admit he has feelings <laughs> i'm not an automaton i definitely have feelings unlike the rest of my robotic companions <laughs> no you can't can't do that don't don't admit you have feelings no 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 emotions here yeah not uh, but after I finished that, I uh, the new Hercule Poirot, A Haunting in Venice, starring Kenneth Branagh, will be coming out this week. I've watched the previous Kenneth Branagh Hercule Poirot movies, including The Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. I don't think they are as good as I would have hoped them to be. Um, Although this one looks really interesting, and it has none other than our other Star Trek alum, uh, Michelle Miss Yeo. Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Uh, Academy Award winning and, uh, Star Trek alum Michelle Yeoh. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I, I, I read Agatha Christie a lot as a kid, so I, I don't remember reading this story because this one is certainly taking a more like supernatural element. Like, is everything happening because of supernatural stuff, or is it just people pretending? And Michelle Yeoh mm -hmm. is like the seance witch doctor type not, not witch doctor yeah not quite right but anyway she's like no she's, yeah, she, she's yeah. like the madam or something right who does right. the seance is the clairvoyant that's probably the better word yeah so yeah. um i plan on reading the book because i always like reading the books before i go see stuff or once i realize something was a book go back and read the book like with all yeah. the carbon for example or the expanse um, or the expanse exactly um so uh yeah i'll be reading that and then go watch the movie at some point and I'll get back with you and see how that is. Uh, but yeah, that's me. How about you? Um, pretty much the same. I um, have been working a lot, and I'm actually starting to look for some other opportunities because I'm, you know, 
I'm never really happy with complacency, basically. Um, <laughs> I started watching, well, I should say start and finished watching a show called Dark Winds because um, it's on HBO Max or just Max as everything's being rebranded these days. And they had the whole first season. So I was like, okay, I'll watch a couple of these, see what it's about. Ended up really getting sucked into it and just blasted through the whole first season. Uh, six found... episodes, to be fair. Yeah. It's not like we were watching 20. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but it was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It, that's what it was. Um, but it was a great show. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters that we saw so far. I'm really interested to see the next season, and hopefully AMC will release that soon so I can get my hands on that second season and watch it. Um, been watching One Piece. As I said last week, I kind of f- fell into that. And... Um, Again, still still really enjoying it. I could get over the num- numerous clip show episodes, of course, but other than that, it's been um, it's been enjoyable to uh, uh, watch. Right. I have been taking a break from reading since we just finished Sybil Burn, the fourth book in yeah. the Expanse series. We'll be starting number five, um, I guess, this coming week. I guess I'll go ahead and start that. Um, Great just to be back on track and getting ahead there. But other than that, that has really um, been it for me and right. raising my kid, of course. So yeah, <laughs> you know, you don't want to, don't want to say that half heartedly or last, or, you know, <laughs> yeah, last right. but not least, <laughs> last but not least, I'm still a parent. So yeah. It's, when I um, got time to fit that in. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, but I, well, of course, we're not here to talk about all that stuff. We are here to talk about uh, this episode to the death. Um, uh, as I say a lot, interesting episode. Lots of action returning us to the focal point, which is the Dominion, and learning more about the Dominion and the Jem'Hadar and the uh, the Vorda and their relationship with the Founders and so forth and so on. Just a lot of great stuff. And um, we get to see the first uh, major Jeffrey Combs character in this episode. So, uh, gonna definitely talk about that. Now, um, did you want to give the summation, or do you want me to do it? I'm happy to do it, though this one is pretty detailed. If you feel it, you want to do it, I'm happy to let you go for it. Uh, just for the sake of, uh, uh, I guess, time, I guess, and getting us through this so that we can get back to talking about it, I'll run through it really quick. Go for it, yeah. Um, because there is a lot, and there are a lot of tie-ins to other uh, treks like Next Generation. Mm-hmm. So um, with this one, we see that the Defiant is coming home. They seem to have been on a very long mission. Everybody seems a bit tired, ready to get back to the station. They go through the wormhole, come up on the station, and it's been attacked. One of the upper pylons has been blown to bits, and there's, you know, people are in the corridors, hurt, dead, whatever. Um, We see Kira right away. She gives a breakdown of what happened. Basically, it was um, like a bank robbery. You know, these uh, Jem'Hadar beamed aboard the station as a strike team. They attacked a bunch of people. They blew up a pylon, and they stole a bunch of equipment. Um, This happened maybe, you know, 45 minutes before the Defiant showed up. So Cisco decides, you know, we're not going to just, we're not going to stay and take care of everybody. He basically splits it so that Kira stays, Bashir stays, everybody else gets back on the Defiant, and we're off to track down the um, marauding Jem'Hadar strike team. Um, this leads them back through the wormhole, and they're hot on their heels, but the the, the Jem'Hadar have been doing some things to make it a little bit difficult to follow them, until they happen upon another 
Jem'Hadar ship. This one also heavily damaged. Or this one heavily damaged. Not also heavily damaged, but just damaged. Right. Um, it's sending out a distress call. Cisco's kind of, you know, on the fence about what to do. Worf's just like, nah, could be a trap, blow him up, whatever. Um, but they decide not to. They beam the survivors onto the Defiant, sands their weapons, of course. And that's where they discover that these Jem'Hadar are being led by an alien called uh, Vorda, one that we had seen once before. Um, when we first were introduced to the uh, the Jem'Hadar in the third season, I believe that was, when the Odyssey got destroyed? Uh, it was the very final episode of season two. Yeah, it was like, yeah. if I correctly, yeah. 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 Um, and so this Horda is named Wayun, and this would be the Jeffrey Combs character, the first time that we see him playing a Vorda. Um, for those of you familiar with Jeffrey Combs, you know that he's got a very storied history with uh, Star Trek and playing character um, characters like this, playing various aliens. He's been on Deep Space Nine, Voyager. He's even in Lower Decks. Uh, he's got a voice character there, too. So, um, but anyway, basically... Wayun lets them know that the um, Jem'Hadar who attacked the station were renegades, and uh, they have now been tasked with tracking them down, but obviously they were ambushed and their ship's been destroyed, and it makes it impossible for them to continue their mission, and he decides that Cisco and company are, it's it's in their best interest to partner up and go after these uh, renegade Jem'Hadar. Cisco's like, why do I care? It sounds like that's your problem. And then that's when Wayun reveals that these guys have uh, found an Iconian gateway, which, if you can remember from The Next Generation, the first Iconian gateway was discovered um, in the episode Contagion, and the Iconians were this massively advanced uh, race that had an empire that spanned countless number of worlds and they had these gateways which would allow you to walk instantaneously from one place to another across solar systems across whatever it didn't distance didn't really seem to be an issue for them right so the fear is if these jemhadar can control this gateway they can gain uh followers sympathizers boost their ranks and then they'll just take over the gamma quadrant and the rest of the dominion and then they'll turn their sights on the alpha quadrant so it's in everybody's best interest if they blow this thing up right so the crews decide that yes begrudgingly they have to work together they start to train each other in their various tactics and weapons they do a mock layup of the iconian gateway so they can practice moving through the uh, layout to or in order to get to a point where they can blow it up wharf has uh, some issues with one of the other um, Jem'Hadar and ends up getting into a fight with him, which eventually leads the Jem'Hadar first, uh, whose name is Ametaklan, to kill him. And when Cisco is he then... kill his second Jem'Hadar, yes. to be clear. Yeah. Not, yes. not Worf. Worf's still alive. <laughs> not, yes, yeah. <laughs> to, kill the, to kill the Jem'Hadar who was fighting with Worf. Right. Worf is not similarly disciplined. He is instead restricted to being in his quarters whenever he's not on duty. And the uh, first, a Medicalon, he criticizes uh, Cisco's command techniques because he says that the rest of the subordinates learn nothing if he's not willing to be, you know, more strict. So this is basically kind of setting up how severe, you know, the the Jem'Hadar are in comparison to really anybody else because they're even out Klingoning the Klingons here with their to the death stuff. Right. 
Um, we do have some moments of levity, like when uh, Dax is paired up with her Jem'Hadar partner, who we learn through him that uh, Jem'Hadar, they age differently. So by the time they're, he was only three years old, by the time they're five or six or something like that, they're kind of about ready to retire, and no Jem'Hadar has ever made it to 30 years old or something like that. And that's when we find out that Dax is somewhere north of 300 years old so we knew that but yeah yeah we knew that but yeah that's just kind of the whole point was to show that he's got such a short life versus her very expanded one so they finally make it to the planet where the iconian gateway is they beam down none of their weapons and stuff work because there seems to be a dampening field being put out by the gateway that's stopping all the uh, any technology from working um before they can really come up with a plan to how to counteract this they are set upon by the jemhadar who have these personal uh, cloaking phase devices, which allow them to sneak up on them. They engage in hand-to-hand combat, make a run for the gateway. They fight their way in, Worf leading the charge, of course, doing an excellent job either throwing or slashing people to bits as he moves through. They come to the uh, the base of the gateway. They lay the charges, and just before they're able to escape, Cisco gets stabbed, saving Omedicon's life. Right. Um, they make their way out. The gateway explodes, and there's this kind of weird, I have some respect for you, but at the same time, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you moment between Omedicon and Cisco. Right. And before they all beam away, of course, um, Omedicon kills Wayun. Basically the whole time because Oweyun had been like, you know, making light of their honor and their dedication to the founders and keeping information from them and so forth. So he's just like, we're at the end of the mission. We don't need you anymore. So he kills him. And uh, our our crew beams home. And that's essentially the episode. Yes, we're going to talk about some more specific things, but that's pretty much it. And if there is anything that we miss in our discussion, I mean, you can always go and watch the episode. It's right there. On Paramount Plus, waiting for you. Has been waiting for 30 years. So go watch it. <laughs> Come back. See if you agree with us. If you don't, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Right. So, David, of course, as the person who has never seen this episode before, what did you think? What were your first thoughts? Uh, my first reaction is that I'm glad that we're getting into, as I've critiqued lately, I'm glad we're getting into our kind of a overall arching a plot you know the dominion is the major threat to our station because they're at the wormhole and the gamma quadrant has the foundling the founders the changelings the, the jim hadar um you know the last time we even talked about changelings was all the way back when cisco and the, and the others went to earth and that was like halfway through the season and we're nearing the end of the season it's like the changelings mm-hmm. have not been a threat or the and the jim hadar have not been a threat for a while um now, we have seen the Jim Hadar before, so what's fun about this episode is seeing, uh, learning more about Jim Hadar culture, basically. They basically have one reason to exist, and that's to fight. And so they have little patience for anything outside of victory. And it also means that their lives are very, very simple, even you know, criminally or they're tragically simple and basic as Dax discovers in her conversation with the Jim Hadar that she was working with. Um, so I like that we have our main story going on. I like that we have, um, a 
plot that you know really delves deeper into some of those things. I do have some some critiques, like you know this episode really deals with insubordination, and I feel like Cisco deals with mm-hmm. insubordination a few times before Worf gets out of line. Like that wasn't the first time. Like Worf made a comment during the briefing that he had with just the officers, and O'Brien makes a a crack a joke. He cracks a joke in it, which I felt was also not <laughs> not right. You know, in terms of like, hey, we got a serious situation. Um, basically, what happens is Cisco is telling his his officers that we have this situation where the Jim there's a Jim Hadar faction that's that's breaking away. And we need to keep the Jim Hadar that we have on the ship in the dark about that situation because, um, what's the 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 handler guy's name? Um, Wayun. Wayun. Mm-hmm. Wayun is Wayun is afraid that if they learn about the the true reasons that this this faction is breaking away, that they will turn on him and turn on the Dominion, and uh, so he he keeps he wants them kept in the dark. So Cisco's like, well, he wants us to keep them in the dark. We'll keep them in the dark. Worf makes a comment about how, you know, we shouldn't defend the station with 24 or (laughs) 26-7, you know, 26 hours in a day on Bajor. We shouldn't have the Defiant constantly on the defense around the station. It needs to be doing what it needs to do. Uh, But he says that in the middle of a, a briefing, like he's, like, he's basically contradicting what Cisco is saying, and it's, like, not as a like advice or I'm saying something to Cisco is because he's asking me for my opinion on something. He just gives it. And then when uh, Cisco says that the briefing will be held at 1900 hours, uh, O'Brien cracks a joke and saying, and at 1930, we're going to all get together for drinks. Um, I just, I just felt like Cisco, like I need you to crack a whip here. <laughs> like, Hey well, guys, we're in a very situation. I don't, we don't have time for jokes or, or this just stuff. Cause then when Worf, gets out of line not only does it feel like um he like in in the actual briefing when the jim hadar dude gets out of line no one says anything to him until he and Worf are going at it and then suddenly everyone has something to say hey you two get back to your places and then when they get to fight later in the the meal area um again it felt like like they everyone had been allowing insubordination to kind of brew <laughs> is what i'm getting yeah. at well, so. so to me, that was always the the Jem'Hadar showed absolutely no respect for anybody that wasn't them. And we also have to remember that in universe here, our officers had already they had just been returning from a mission and were right. probably looking for a time to, you know, debrief, deescalate, you know, whatever. But they were immediately thrust back into this very intense uh, situation. And I think that um, Cisco. You know, he's always been a little bit more lax on some of those things than we would say, you know, ever see Picard allowing on the bridge of the Enterprise. Right. But, um, yeah, allowing his officers to kind of vocalize their, you know, their thoughts, their concerns, you know, up to a point. He would never let anybody just kind of sit there and just rant whatever. But, um, yeah, certainly allowing them to kind of get some of that out so that they can, you know, refocus and rededicate themselves he's done that several times before so i don't think that's um not in line with his character but i could also see how because this is a a, a ted situation you would expect everybody to be a little bit more you know uh snap to on it right you know right yeah yeah oh my point is certainly that Worf critiquing you know how the ship that the defiant should be used around the station 
that's it's not the time for that conversation. And then O'Brien cracking a joke. It's just it's like, you know, thanks, Chief, but right now we let's not crack jokes. This is very serious. I mean, let me put it this way. <laughs> it seemed like a mistake the whole time to ever have the Jim Hadar and anyone from the Dominion on the ship at all. We yeah. know that the changelings exist, that they can change to do anything they want, that they are hell-bent on destroying the Federation. They've already been executing plots across... I mean, last season, we had them basically trick a whole group of Romulan and Cardassian warships into uh, tricking them into destroying themselves by, by chasing basically phantom changelings. You know, they, they set them up to fail. And this it just feels like, oh my gosh, like guys, I love you, but you gotta tell these Dominion fellas, like, I don't trust you. Go. <laughs> you shouldn't have even saved them from their ship and on a certain level. I mean, other than the Federation is honorable and they save people. But I'm with Odo. He's like, yeah, like Odo in a war for like this is a bad idea. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I gotta agree with them. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's one thing about uh, Worf's history. I mean, it's he's always being, you know, cautious. And, I mean, I think they try to paint him as being, like, overly cautious or whatever. But a lot of times he's right. And when we're dealing with these particular Jem'Hadar and how absolutely ruthless they are, I think that, yeah, there should have been way more caution thrown their way than, uh, than what we see. Uh, absolutely. So, once right. again, um, Worf... I agree. Odo, yes, I agree, but uh, no one's going to listen to you guys. I mean, if everybody listened to the pragmatic ones in the group, there'd be no show. It'd be it'd be <laughs> that's very exactly boring. right. That's very right. Yeah, I that's why whenever those things happen, I just kind of shake my head and go, okay, we have to have something happen in order for this to be interesting to yeah, watch. That, yeah, that's how that's how we get the talking points because everybody was just like, well, if they did the obvious thing that was the you know the rational <laughs> answer, then it would be very boring. Right. It'd be watching the name of the show would be what Star Trek public yeah. relations. Like yeah, who, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Like no one wants to watch that. <laughs> HR, so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Star Trek HR. That would be <laughs> so boring. <laughs> Yeah, and to be fair, it does create some fun moments. Um, you already mentioned Jadzia talking with the Jim Hadar, who's like, she's working at her station, and she turns to him and she's like, You've been staring at me for two hours. What are you doing? And he's like, Well, I'm studying your behavior so I can learn to anticipate you. And they start talking about themselves. I mean, learn that the Jim Hadar don't live very long. This one is only eight years old, and anyone who lives to be like 20 is like considered ancient. Uh, 30 mm-hmm. is outside the question. Like their whole lives, they don't sleep, they don't eat, other than the white, you know. The ketrosol white, which is being pumped into them. Which keeps um, them obedient or empowered. And they also don't have women in their in their species. They are birthed in pods. And we've seen that already. We had an episode, I think back during season, it must have been season three, where yeah. we had a young Jim Hadar child, uh, born on the station and he he grows to like an adult within the entire episode. Like he grows up very quickly as this Jim Hadar says. Um, So yeah, it's, it's an interesting culture. Again, as I said before, the most interesting and the most successful thing that Star Trek has done is made me appreciate Klingon culture. And so here's another chance for the show to make me appreciate and become interested in another culture. In this case, the Jim Hadar. Now, I don't think the Jim'Hadar are ever going to be as interesting as the Klingons, because the Jim'Hadar basically only exist for one reason, and that's to fight, and in this case, to be loyal to the Founders, which 
is interesting in its own right. Um, but every time you know Jim Hadar critiques someone for your fighting capabilities aren't as good as ours, or we're willing mm-hmm. to die, well, it's like you guys only have that's like that's the only reason you guys exist. It's like it's like a robot, you know, like a a robot only can do one task, and it being and like. Like if my computer ever came to me and said, "Ha ha, you can't compute as fast as I can," I'd be like, "Yeah, but that's all you're good for. <laughs> I have a whole life to live, you know." Yeah. Um, so I, 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 it's funny in the sense of like, that's why the conflict exists between the Jim Hadar and our crew. Yeah. Uh, but then there are moments when I'm like, well, um, you know, I, I. What I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say it was interesting to find out more about the Jim Hadar, but they're never going to be as interesting yeah. as other cultures because they are overly simplified. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, they kind of laid the groundwork for you know greater complexity in the in the characters or in that culture with characters like the first, um, a Metaclan. Right. He uh, clearly shows that he's got a, a depth to him, and the way that he you know is the foil for Cisco in this episode, and basically being like you know. Um, we can do all these strategies and things all day long, but the simple fact is, you're not nearly as ruthless as we are, right. and that's your that's your failing. That's why the the Dominion has lasted for as long as it's lasted, and Federation will be snuffed out soon it's because you're just you're not able to go there. Like they are, they were already, you know, to go and hunt down these renegade Jem'Hadar, and they they were more upset with Wayun lying to or thinking he was lying to them right. than anything else because it was a question of their of their loyalty, oh, yeah. their honor, and they wouldn't they weren't going to stand for it. Anybody who questions that for them needed to be eliminated. Whereas with you know um, other species, human, Klingon, whomever, you know, not just going to outright you know, murder people like that. Like, even if we had renegade, you know, humans or whatever, we wouldn't, we wouldn't treat them this way. We wouldn't hunt them down right. in this manner. And he right. knows that. And so that's what he's trying to, you know, kind of play off here. And, and I, and I, I appreciated that they were trying to give us that depth, but it also just worked to highlight the fact that the, uh, Demidar are, I mean, they're monsters. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're literally bred for one task and not only are they exceptionally good at the task, but they really enjoy it. Yeah. So yeah, they're yeah. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh going back to what I was saying though about the guy talking to Dax, it was a funny scene because as you pointed out, Dax says, you know she says to him, like, how old do you think I am? And uh <laughs> I was like, what uh, anyway, um and she, she, he asked her, "How old are you?" And she said, "I stopped counting around 300." <laughs> and uh, he says, "Well, you look really good for your age." And he, and she yeah, he's like, yeah, you don't look it, yeah. yeah. Now, of course, Dax is kind of fudging those numbers a little bit, as we know. But um, yeah, it's just a funny moment um, between them. And then um, the moment when Wayun is talking with Cisco, and basically Cisco ends ends the little conversation like Wayne wants Cisco to join him in fighting off this renegade Jim Hadar group and he's like, like do we have a deal and like Cisco kind of like gets up in his face and like mm-hmm. whispers we have a deal or whatever he says you know we have an agreement and it's it's just fun to see Cisco threaten like that because <laughs> on one level it's just it's just hilarious because it's like 
oh, Cisco, I think you should be running right now. You shouldn't be threatening anybody. You shouldn't be you should be get, telling him to get the heck off your ship. You know, I don't got time for this nonsense. But on the other well, hand, I like, it's also I like that he I like that he doesn't give ground. I like that he holds. Right. You know, right. and um, and then of course we get another kind of light ish scene. Uh, right before they beam down to the planet, you know, first Amenicron gives his very dramatic I am dead speech, right. you know, and just kind of brings everyone down, you know, right. and then here comes O'Brien, and I'm Chief Miles Edward O'Brien, and I'm very much alive, and I intend uh, to stay that yeah. way. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so that was a good right. moment, too, yeah. Very funny. Uh, yeah, so I, I'll say this. I like the episode uh, because it, again, brings us back to our main plot. Uh, we get to see more about the Jim Hadar and the Dominion overall. Um, I don't remember all the details about the the Stargate or whatever you want to call it from TNG. It's from the, the Iconian Gateway. So I know it's further back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure I like if we were to pull up images from this from the Ooh. episode, I'd be like, oh, okay, I remember now. So we can do some Trek lore. I love this part. All right, so let's do it. Um, yes, the Iconians. They had this massive empire that was, you know, spanned countless number of planets. And the way that they controlled all these planets was via use of the gateways. Now, right. in the episode, which was in the second season, it was called Contagion of the Next Generation. Um, the Yamato was a planet that had oh, not no I'm sorry the Yamato was the sister ship of the Enterprise and they had they were the ones who had found an Iconian planet in the Romulan neutral zone and a probe had been launched from the planet which scanned the ship and ended up causing the ship to self destruct a similar probe scanned or attempted to scan a Romulan vessel in an episode but they were able to destroy it Picard Worf and uh Data make their way down to the Iconian planet, and they are trying to stop these probes and figure out what is slowly but surely also taking over the Enterprise, hoping they can figure out a way to stop it before it destroys the Enterprise. In their attempts to do so, pressing some buttons in a very kind of childlike manner, they accidentally activate the gateway, which starts to flash with all these images of different planets. And um, eventually it even syncs up to where it shows the bridge of the Enterprise and the bridge of the Romulan ship. So we know that the Iconians use these gateways to move troops and people and so forth from one planet to another, and that's kind of how they took over. Uh, History shows that, you know, people believe that the Iconians were demons who were, you know, marauding through space and and so forth, and that eventually a group of heroes put down the Iconians. Um, This is a remnant of that technology. This is only the second time, and really, if I could think about it real quick... It's the only other time that uh, the Iconians are mentioned in in Star Trek. We don't see them ever again. So, um, well, unless you count the stuff that happens in the game Star Trek Online, which a lot of people don't because it, that's a whole other universe in there itself. So, <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah, they, they've got all their own lore. Like, okay. The best way I've always compared the Star Trek Online stuff is, you know, another favorite topic for us is the Dune series. So what we see on TV is the original Dune series as written by Frank Herbert. Right. Everything on Star Trek Online is his son. Yeah. It's like right. his son. 
Yeah. Right. So there. here's the bunch of fan fiction. Um, but yeah, this is the only other time that we hear mention of the Iconians and their gateways and how powerful they are. Um, the look of the gateway is similar in uh, this episode in in that it um, it has the same flashes. It does different scenes and stuff. If you pay close enough attention, some of the scenes that you see flashing through in this episode are um, uh, Bajor, uh, Romulus earth and uh there's like a i think there's like a throwback to one they use from the tng run is right. on there but that's I that's I saw it. the eiffel tower in there i was like oh yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah so it was just showing that this gateway could really you know with programming could pretty much take them anywhere so so yeah that's that's the only other time that we see that and uh the shape of it is different in the in the next generation episode it's like a nice you know rectangular column whereas this one's like a a big, you know, well, gate. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, we know the Iconians existed, what was it, what did they say, 100, 200,000 years pre, pri- uh, previously to this? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I like the idea of the whole, you know, long dead ancient cultures. It's not the first time that Star Trek has done that either. The Iconians, uh, I think, are the are the first group. No. Yeah, I think they're the first group that we hear about, and then the Takan, the Takan Empire, was another one that we heard about, and they also had their origination in uh, the Next Generation. We don't really hear of those again, right. but like that that notion of ancient, really advanced civilizations that rose and fell long before you know any of us were ever anything. Right. I don't know. I've always found that very um, fascinating. They try to say that something similar is going on on Earth right now. You know that they're constantly uncovering, you know, um, uh, ancient cities and stuff that were way more advanced than we initially had speculated. So, like, this may be like the second or third rise of humanity on the planet, or whatever. I don't know where you want to fall in believing any of those things, but I mean, it's certainly interesting to listen to, and it's great to fall asleep to. So, if you're ever bored. You know, right. go and find one of those like ancient alien documentaries, man. It'll just <laughs> wind you up. Yeah. What's that? What's that image of that guy with the long hair? And he's like, yeah, the, <laughs> the the Greek the Greek guy that's not Greek aliens, man, yeah. with the, with the hair. Yeah. Man, he's got a he's got a Greek name, but I believe he's like Swedish or something like that. It's it's very he's very weird. Yeah, yeah. There's a picture of him. Um, I do want to say that. My critique of the episode is that the final battle at the end, like they were setting up the idea that there's like 150 of these Jim Hadar dudes we have to go fight, and we only have five of our own Jim Hadar because he kills one of them, um, and then we have our crew and we have some yellow shirts, and I just felt like, man, it feels like this is a suicide mission to the max. Yeah, I don't feel like you guys have near nope. enough people to take on Jim Hadar. Numbers were not on our Italian. side. Yeah, and then, like, they basically yeah. walk through them like butter. Yeah, we see a couple of yellow shirts t- bite, you know, bite it. Uh, but that's my one complaint, really, is that the final battle felt... Like, I, I never felt like the stakes were as high as they should have been. Even when the even when the phasers went down, the phasers weren't working, and so they had to use uh, battle axes. And so Cisco and Dax and Worf and all the others are grabbing these giant battle axe sword-looking things... And they're able to use them more effectively than the Jim Hadar that they take them off of. So I'm like, 
Well, that's that is a common trope in a lot of these types of shows. Is uh, no one masters a weapon faster than the righteous? You know, <laughs> there is there's no nothing they can't they yeah. can't achieve on the you know right. with a wink and a nod. Good looking weapons. Don't get me wrong. I like the look of yeah. them. I like the fact that they have a handle you can grab behind the blade. A nice long like handle, right? It was a long handle, and then you had the extra grip up there by the by the blade. Then it yeah. had that swooping point as yeah, well it felt you like know, a, to be clear like dax and wharf going from a bat lift to that i felt made some sense but like cisco like he kills a couple guys with one and i'm like cisco's great but i've never heard well, of him being some like master you know, but cisco fighter. but cisco does get knocked down and get knocked around a couple times and he does get stabbed you know wharf has to save him uh you know and then yeah he, he does get stabbed so it's not like he's just super proficient or anything like that but i i get your point for the numbers that we were told were there waiting on them versus who beams down and is doing everything they they simply don't have the numbers right. and there should have been way more now, maiming I, going I, on. I would have given the show the benefit of doubt if they had just simply mentioned something like they don't have a lot of white. They have minimal amounts of white, and therefore you know, that's they're a not great able point. to. Right. They know, might have said that they've been cut off from their supply of Ketracil white, so they're experiencing withdrawal. So they might be going a little bit crazy, and they're not, you know, all with it and together. Just a little right. drop in line there of yeah, a. Yeah, that's, that's how we possibility know we have a thing. chance to do this mm -hmm. because we know that our enemies, while they outnumber us, they're weakened right now. And if yeah. we let them, you know. Like like the guy says, Wayun says is like the reason we're not, you know, calling it a bunch of battleships. Take care of this is because we don't have time. We need to get this done right now. If the idea had been, yeah, the reason we have only right now to take care of this is because you know they have a you know they have some white on the way. Um, some of the or the or that because I can see that argument being well, if we know that their supply of Ketra so white is going to run out, why don't we just wait a mountain? Like, well, no, because if they get the gateway fixed, they can exactly. just show up anywhere right. and get the white that they need so right. yeah um it would have still made the time crunch relevant right. but it also would have shown why our our heroes yeah. did have an edge so it wouldn't have taken much you know an extra two minutes in that little conversation between Wayun and cisco to heighten the stakes a bit and right. just express you know why you have this sliver of a chance would have helped out a lot right. yeah i agree and it also could have helped tie just a little bit more into the fact that Wayun is being petty with giving out the white to his Yeah, group. and he's dismissive, and he's just very, you know, he's rude with their ritual and stuff, yes. and he's just like, oh, yes. just, all right, fine, just take it. I'm eat, you got to do this now. Got yeah. you like, right. Can you yeah, swear so. loyalty to the founders? Okay, I trust you, blah, blah, blah. Blah, yeah, blah, then. blah. I'm not even going to look at you. Here's your vials. Get out of my face. So it, was, it yeah. actually was pretty funny when, at the end of the episode, he pops down, he's like, I want to go look around. <laughs> what yeah. the, oh, the first... We saw the explosion. Let's see that wreckage. Yeah. yeah like, then, he didn't care. And then the, and then the Metacron's like, just like... Yeah. He doesn't yeah. even, like, look at him. He basically just, like, pops him. He's mm -hmm. like, all right, you're useless to me now. <laughs> Great. Oh, you put the, uh, you put the case... You, and, and I couldn't help but notice he beams down and he's holding the case that's got the Ketracel white in it, right? Yeah. And then he yeah, exactly. puts it down and is like, hey, by the way, that wreckage, you know, and it's like, right. oh, you put down the thing that I need to survive? Bam, you're dead. Yeah. You know, like, well, I was you put I was down the one thing that was keeping you alive. 
Well, I felt it was funny though because I felt like, wait a minute, doesn't he? Wouldn't he have to like every single time open it up? Like the the guys grab it after over his you know beamed like his. There's no dead body. He just disintegrates. I, I was surprised that they were like, oh, now we can just use it. Like he opened it once and now it's forever open. I guess I I thought it would be like it only opens for a short time and then they have to reopen it every time they need more. But whatever. I it's I think funny. that that's how it's I think that that's how it's supposed to work. But again, that's right. one of those things we don't get a whole lot of explanations on. Right. At the same time, if they really wanted to get in there and get the vials, I don't think there's much that can stop them from getting in right. there. You know. Right. So, but yeah, I think it's all supposed to be. When the ceremony is done properly, there's no threat of the person of the Vorta being shot because they're doing the ritual with the same reverence or at least pretending with the same reverence that uh, the the Jem'Hadar would be. So that wouldn't be a concern for them. Wayun's problem here is that he thoroughly disrespected the people that he was supposed to be commanding and he didn't see that they didn't like him or either he didn't either he didn't see it or he didn't care because he figured he would just be able to lord the white over them yeah i i I did feel like that him him dying was kind of sudden and out of the blue mainly because i felt like if he's the only one who can access the white that killing him is self-defeating it's the whole purpose of Mm -hmm. having the drug is it keeps them in line so i was i laughed when it happened but i was also Mm -hmm. like wait a minute i thought that was like that isn't going to work. But again, if the idea is the people that the Jim had are on the planet had their own access to at least some white, some production capabilities, then yes, they could stay on the planet as they say they will and hunt down the Jim had are who are basically traitors. Um, you know, they're loyal to the founders. They, that's who they are. Again, interesting culture. The idea being like, yeah, this is our purpose is to fight. And the founders give that to us, even if they've basically, artificially made it so that we have to be this way this is who we are and therefore we're going to fulfill our role interesting interesting idea i don't know if they're going to explore it much more than this um because we did have another episode i think it was season three where they were on that planet with the one jim hadar dude who brought his people there because he thought he could get them off the white on that yes. planet. Um, right but that failed you know he couldn't get bashir bashir wasn't able to recreate the drug in order to keep them like he wasn't able to synthesize a fake version that would keep them from dying before they could figure out how to get off of it. If mm-hmm. I remember correctly, but anyway, that's correct. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad the Jim Hadar and the Dominion were back. I also don't feel like this really moved forward the plot with the Dominion. I will say that like this doesn't um, change the status quo all that much. It doesn't overall change. Um, change anything for where we stand with the dominion but i think it does a great job of kind of introducing reintroducing why the dominion is a threat because like you said like a lot of the episodes hadn't really focused on the dominion lately and i think this is a great way to remind us that there's this very real threat just kind of out there and it works on a, a multitude of levels not just by showing us by you know watching our our heroes work side by side with um with them but also i mean the very opener with the station you know pylons blown off and kira's clearly injured and people are dead everywhere and everything and that was just a a strike team a small team that went through and ransacked the station and stole stuff and did all this stuff so it's a very graphic especially for the start of the episode it's a very 
uh, intense reminder that these guys are are a threat. They're they're dangerous. And as Odo says, you know, I'm surprised this didn't happen sooner. The station sitting right at the mouth of the wormhole does make for a tempting target. So I mean, they the fact that we've gone so long and been able to do all these other things that have popped up, you know. O'Brien must suffer with his 20-year in his mind prison sentence and all this other stuff that's happened in this season before we're now turning our focus back to the Jem'Hadar. Um, yeah, it's a great way to remind us, I feel, that uh, we still haven't uh, resolved this issue and that it's only going to get worse. Right, right. Yeah. Now, really quick, I did want to have a uh, shout-out to um, Clarence Thomas III, who played first Omedicline. He, um, I think he did a great job in this role. He was so serious, you know, throughout his delivery of everything. And, um, he's, uh, he, he's a pretty, or was, I should say, he, he died in, uh, 2021. Um, so, I mean, he's a pretty serious, um, actor. He's got a lot of acting creds to his name. Um, I think, probably the more famous thing they would have been known for would have been um, the mod squad back in the sixties. And then he just kind of went from there. Um, he's been in a lot of different shows and movies and so forth. So if you're not, you might not think that you're familiar with who he is, but if you go and look him up, I'm pretty sure that you'll, you'll see his face and be like, Oh yeah, gotcha. I, I've seen that. I've seen that guy in something before. Um, but yeah, he does a great job with his delivery here as the first, of the Gem Hadar and Clarence Williams the third. Clarence Williams the third. That is correct. Okay. So, um, he's got a he's got a really kind of that soft, creepy voice, you know that <laughs> that kind of it's like he's for everything he says is just always a a veiled threat of violence, you know. He delivers stuff like that very well. So, um, and we get that a lot in this episode. So, right. uh, yeah, great actor. Um, he died again in 2021, uh, colon cancer. Gotcha. So in memoriam there. Gotcha. Well, before we close out this episode, of course, we have to highlight the fact that this is Star Trek week. Um, the very first episode of Star Trek aired September 8th, 1963. So we always like to give a little shout out there to, to that. And we have our own anniversary. This would officially be two years. We've been doing this show September 3rd, uh, two years ago, we dropped our first official episode of this podcast and we're still here. And we've got a lot more to cover, a lot more episodes, uh, seasons to get through, not to mention the book series that we're doing, and we're going to get through all that. And uh, we will be here until it's all over with, and we have to, I don't know, start over. Get David, <laughs> get David's take on his second time around and I <laughs> with the show, and I don't have to so much, you know, rely on... Uh, uh, Standing back, I can well, I just, I just truly fanboy out on this. That two years in, I still don't exactly know why we've titled our show "The Fire Caves" because <laughs> yeah. there was a reference in season one to fire caves, but that was a, a, an off comment by Cisco to Jake once. Want to go see the fire caves? I was like, great. We'll finally know why. <laughs> Three, so all you need to know, so all you know so far is that the fire caves exist and that they're on Bajor. That's it. You don't yeah. know the the That's other it. significance. Well, um, 
Unfortunately, you got a long wait because they don't really talk about it until I believe. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'll find out. <laughs> well, actually, I think we might get because um, we're coming up on season five. So I think we might get our first, you know, kind of real dealing with the fire caves here soon. Oh, OK. So you have to just stay tuned. Stay tuned and see if I'm uh, right about that at all. Um but yeah, um, I, for those of you who are also following along with the Star Trek Day stuff, you know, they did a lot of this, uh, you know, last year and the year before. Um, we had a lot of events and stuff like that you could attend virtually, conventions and so forth. And then this year, of course, there is nothing, mainly because of the um, writer strike, the SAG after strike that is still ongoing. So this year there was pretty much a 20-minute video and then that was it. So... Um, very unfortunate. Hopefully next year they can kind of go back and, uh, back to the fanfare that we had, um, in years previous. Um, but either, either way, we'll be here. We'll yeah. be here next year to give you some more stuff. Uh, what did we, what did you figure up? How long did you say it was going to take us to do? Well, if there are like 176 episodes and there are technically 52 weeks in a year, then that would arguably put us around three and a half years in. But if we take moments for After Dark episodes, etc., I can see us taking a full four years to finish. I mean, I would say that at the moment we're, more, we're past four the halfway years. point. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think maybe we'll, be, we'll I don't think we'll get to the you know fourth anniversary of the show in that sense but we'll be yes we will the year three yes we will you'll we'll make, make it happen it. <laughs> we'll make it happen we'll Got do some special recaps some shadows yes i will we'll yeah. make it to four we'll make it to four <laughs> and then after that if we're still interested in doing a podcast and things have been going extremely well we'll find other things to talk about hopefully right. this uh, the writer strike will be over and we'll have all new content that we can also critique um on a whim and whatever else but yeah so but um any uh overall any final thoughts in the episode what would you say give well, me one I... okay go ahead i was gonna say did we talk about jeffrey combs enough i want to make sure i know that him is oh yeah i mean we yeah so him is way you i mean jeffrey combs is the prolific character actor for Star Trek. He, um, this was the first time that we see him as Wayun, but it's not the first time that we had seen Jeffrey Combs on Deep Space Nine. If you remember, there was an episode where there was the alien who was obsessed with Kira and wanted to get a Kira program in the Hollow Suite. Yes. And uh, he's the alien who was paying Quark to get the, the program. Okay, the I intimate I program. His voice, yes, his voice is very distinct. Very distinct. Yeah. So he's that alien who is then, of course, hugely disappointed by the resulting program that he that he gets. <laughs> um, a, a cork head on a Kira body would make anyone yes. upset. <laughs> so that's the that was the first time that we saw uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs on Deep Space Nine. The next time that we saw him was when he was Brunt. Head of the FCA for that's the Ferengi Commerce him. Alliance. Knew, okay, yes. that's the one I really remember him as. That makes a lot yes. more sense. Yes. yes. Okay. So, and he did a great job as Brunt, of course. And uh, I will tell you, this is not that we are not done with Brunt. We will see him again. <laughs> so, when we we did our the most recent episode that we saw Brunt was the the Union episode. Yes. That was the only and he shows up with the Nausicans. Like yeah, it's like maybe three weeks ago, six, four weeks ago, yeah, something like recent. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm gonna so, double yeah. check it while we talk about it real quick. Uh, let's see. That and was... yeah, pretty much 
they just like him so much. They're just like, uh, can you just keep coming back? And we'll do you new makeup. Yeah, Bar and, Association. Yes. Oh, and, and Mr. LeVar Burton also directed that episode. So I think it's LeVar Burton who is uh, a particular Cut. fan. Oh, so LeVar Burton keeps bringing back Jeffrey Combs? I'm That's arguing funny. that right here now. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, you know what? Well, I have to double check and see what that correlation is because I also know that LeVar Burton directed several episodes of Enterprise and Wei, and not Wayun, but Jeffrey Combs is on Enterprise as Commander Shran. So I wonder how many episodes with Shran were also directed by LeVar Burton. See if there's a parallel. Maybe they had like a deal. I do, wherever, wherever I go, you go. You work. Um, Jeffrey Combs also shows up on uh, Deep Space Nine not Deep Space Nine, of course he's on Deep Space Nine he shows up on Voyager as a um, like a uh, a fight broker and when a couple of the officers get captured and are forced to do, you know uh, physical, you know, martial arts battles and like that, he's the the MC, the promoter in, in that and then in Lower Decks, he voices a uh, computer, a, a murderous computer terminal whose uh, whole intent is to take over every system that it can uh, Contact. connect into and kill whomever tries to get in his way. So um, lots of <laughs> murderous, maniacal fun with him in that, in that stellar voice he's got. So gotcha. That's great. <laughs> So I, I got the opportunity to actually hear, to meet and hear him speak in person several years ago, and um, I'm going to tell the joke that he told and see if you like it. How many Klingons does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, you cut out. Sorry, hold on. Say it again. Say it again yeah, for me. It's okay. <laughs> how, many, how many Klingons does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Who the fuck cares? <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> That's my Jeffrey Combs joke. He told that at a convention um, when we were in Vegas uh, for my 21st birthday. And it was, yeah, same. Brought the house down. There were several people telling jokes, and he kind of ended it for us with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good like final joke. Like we're done telling jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. I think that's going to pretty much do it for us on this episode of the Fire Caves. You can watch all Star Trek on Paramount Plus. They're all there, waiting for you, old and new. So go check those out. Um, you can also find us and follow us anywhere that you do the social medias. We are back on Twitter, and we will have all kinds of stuff for you coming up in the. Uh, uh, next season, of course. And as always, you can right. listen to us anywhere that you happen to listen to podcasts. I do it on Spotify. So until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>